You are listening to Inside Biotech, an exciting podcast from Biotech Connection Los Angeles, which focuses on the science behind Southern California's most innovative new biotech companies. For those listeners who are new to the podcast, BCLA is an organization dedicated to inspire, educate, and connect emerging scientists and entrepreneurs to grow and diversify biotech in LA. I'm your host, Dr. Yuande Pierce, and I am so excited to welcome you to the first episode of our new series, The A in STEAM, Art and Design in Biotech. We are so excited to explore the juxtaposition and interdisciplinary ways in which the world of science and biotech meets the world of art and design. If you want to stay informed about current progress and developments in the biotech industry, then you've definitely come to the right place and I hope that you'll subscribe and keep coming back each month. I'll be talking with different scientists, entrepreneurs and investors about the cutting edge science that goes on inside their companies, touching on a range of themes like art and design from across Southern California's biotech industry. This month, we are starting our new series with a guest speaker from Canon Design, a leading architecture firm that specializes in making ideal and functional spaces to fuel scientific innovation. We sat down virtually with Alicia Pandemos Mura to learn more about how to design the best space for science with scientific precision. Walking around a school, a hospital, or a lab, we often overlook the subtle nuances in the design and the architecture of the building, especially in biotechnology. The need to craft the perfect workspace with spacious benches, nooks for microscopes, and crannies for innovation is really key. Well, meet Canon Design, an LA-based firm that takes this job quite seriously and does it extremely well. Having designed some of the newest, most innovative biotechnology-geared spaces in the last few years, we were eager to learn more about their process, their ideas, and what makes a space into a science space. That interview, up next. Yeah, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast this month. How are you doing? Thank you very much. I'm very pleased to be here. We've been so excited about this conversation and we have lots of questions that we want to jump into. So hopefully we get through all of them. But before we get started, we had a bit of an icebreaker question that we wanted to start with. We would love to learn more about how you became interested in science and its impact. Do you think you could start off by talking to us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So when I began my architectural career, I got a master's degree in architecture, actually in preservation and conservation. So I I am focused on sustainability as part of everything I do every day. And one of my first jobs was with a firm that had a really strong sustainability stance. And during my time at that firm, I had this amazing opportunity to work with the Duke Lemur Center in North Carolina, which is the largest lemur habitat outside of Madagascar. Wow. And it was amazing, truly. That sounds amazing. (laughs) It It is and continues to be all about preservation of the species because they are an endangered species. And from there, I really got to understand how we make spaces for science and spaces for animals and science and understanding the interaction of the laboratory with the animals and how that interacts with the outside world and how we can make changes and make a difference. And from then, I was just really hooked. And 
I really thought about making positive changes in the world through science. My favorite saying, Yuande, is to say that I'm not smart enough to make the scientific discoveries, but I'm smart enough to make the spaces where those discoveries happen. And in that way, I get to contribute to the world a little bit differently than perhaps you and other research scientists get to. But it's really made me feel like science is a way to make a positive change in the world. Oh my goodness. I love that. I love that appreciation of the importance of space when you're doing this work. I mean, have, we've been so excited about having this conversation because a lot of us come from a science background and work in labs with little consideration. And I couldn't agree more with you about the importance of the space within which you're trying to do that work. That's a really great entry point into how you got into this. And I mean, another question that we had was that would be really helpful, actually, would be to hear a little bit more about your own background, because, I mean, we've spoken before and I think you're, you're very interesting. So it'd be cool to understand <laughs> with that story that you just started with. I'm sure there's a lot more that we can talk about. So what is, could you tell us a bit about your background and then what led you to Canon Design? Right. So my background is I am a licensed architect a laboratory planner and an equipment planner. And of course, that really started with the Duke Lemur Center and becoming very interested in science and taking my architecture background and education and putting it towards science. And in the past 20 years, obviously, I've worked for different firms that have taught me a lot about science. But what brought me specifically to Canon was their living center design approach. And this is really important to me, obviously, for many reasons, but it really speaks to blending human-focused design and sustainability and economics, a sort of circular economy within architecture. Mm. The whole firm is really committed to creating spaces where all people flourish. And because, as you well know, I believe that spaces for science should be interesting, exciting, and bring joy it allows me to have lots of people around me who feel exactly the same way. So we're all working towards this goal. And, you know, you heard me talk about trying to make the world a better mm -hmm. place, making the world a better place through architecture, where everybody's trying to do that is a really exciting place to be. So I feel very lucky to be at Canon and lucky to be working with people like myself who really want to take that next step and, get past just the high-tech instruments and not lose sight of the scientists and the people that inhabit those spaces. So that's that's that human-focused design is understanding that, yes, there's equipment happening in here, but there's a lot of people that inhabit these spaces. I love that focus on the human side. It's so true. I don't know where the separation happens that, of course, scientists are doing important work but there are humans behind those experiments and of course having a specific environment for the machinery and you know sterile environments is important but I I love that intersection that intersection is really interesting bringing science and art together in this way I mean they seem seemingly very contradictory categories but they're both in their own way very creative and I love how the focus on the architecture, which is creative, actually facilitates the sort of creativity that is needed to do good science. So I wonder where you see yourself in Canon Design at that intersection of these two disciplines. You've spoken a little bit about that, but I wonder if you can expand a little bit more. I would like to expand on that. 
So sometimes people think of science and art as things that are very contradictory and very different. But because of the way that I see science, I don't see it as so different from art. And here's why. I talk about science changing the world and bringing joy and positive changes. And I see art doing the same thing. So I feel even though they come at it from different sides, they both really strive to make the world a better place and to bring people joy and make positive changes. So as we do our design work, I really love to see that science and art can coexist because there's really some crazy things that you can look at under microscopes or in other ways in science. And they are literally so beautiful. They become artwork. Oh, yeah. And we like to take those images and put them into the space the scientists are working in. And so they pass these images and they think, wow, that's literally what I was looking at yesterday in the lab, or that's literally an assay I did last week. And now science and art are together and they are, and bringing science into art is also engaging these scientists and making them more excited about what they do every day. An example, a built example of, of this is I worked on a building at another firm for a company called Agilent that our listeners may recognize from their instruments. They make instruments, but they do a lot of other things. And in designing their lab building, we took a lot of looks at DNA, mm -hmm. what that looks like. And when you think of sometimes there's DNA that appears to break we sort of put that into the built shape of the building. So if you were to look at it from high up, it really looks like DNA. And to me, that is hitting into what Agilent does, which is producing oglionucleotides, which is a lot of the building blocks of what people use when they do DNA work. So sometimes we actually think backwards, what do these people work with? How can we make their buildings really signify what they're physically doing in the lab. That is so awesome. And what a cool way to get a new perspective on the work that you do. I mean, I don't have to, to tell you one of the main, I mean, it's just the way science is, but it's so repetitive and it can be very sort of very microscopic, literally like you're looking at, at things on such a, at such close range that I feel like what you've described really helps you to see the bigger picture and just get a bit more perspective on the beauty of the work that you're doing in a way that you probably, I know I probably take for granted in my day-to-day -day as a stem cell biologist. I, yeah, I really love that. That sounds like such an amazing project. So one of the areas thinking about the projects that you do at Canon Design, the focus that you have on science and technology design specifically. So you create environments that allow scientific learning and research to flourish, as you've described a little bit already. So I wondered if you could um, explain a little bit more about how you think science can actually influence scientific progress. Of course, it's really nice to work in an environment that has some creative consideration and it makes it does bring joy, which shouldn't be underestimated. But have you had any feedback or are there any features specifically that you focus on to create these spaces that actually have an impact on scientific progress outside of that? Well, it's it's funny you ask that because just this morning I I had a meeting with a client about this and really the way that Canon Design, I feel, is pushing this forward is through ensuring collaboration. And obviously collaboration is a cultural shift. We can help push that cultural shift forward in the built environment. 
and it's critical and it's not going to go away. I mean, when we think of things that have been done recently with the vaccines, it's all about groups that might not normally come together, coming together to create new discovery or new products that really can enhance our lives. So I like to say that scientists tend to go into silos and they love their research and they love their science and they want to stay immersed in that because they love it. But how can we get them outside of their silos and realizing that the person next to them in the office next to them or in the lab next to them is doing something equally as exciting? And maybe that idea that that other scientist has will spur your science even further. So what we think about is spatial design that can connect people with other disciplines and other people within their disciplines. And we like to call that a place where creative collisions can happen. And the idea that that can speed up discovery and uniting people and ideas and possibilities that wouldn't have come together. So actually, the client I was talking to today was the National Renewable Energy Laboratories, their NREL, and they're bringing together three groups across campus that don't typically work together, but are doing some things that are similar. And we've had calls with them today and yesterday, and they realized as they walk through their processes, there's a lot of processes that they're doing the same. And even the scientists said, wow, I could benefit from my photovoltaic group being in the same group as energy storage and seeing how they deal with batteries versus how we deal with batteries because all that NREL does is find new technology and immediately push it out into the world because they want to affect change for the environment in a positive way. So everybody's working quickly and everybody's trying to get these new technologies to the public, but they realized in talking about how they do their processes that another group next to them is literally doing some of the same things. And how could they find those synergies to make this technology smarter, safer, faster for the general public? So I think right now I'm seeing some very real concrete results of the things that Canon has been working for for a long time. Wow, that I mean, that's certainly a concrete result. I love the phrase that you use, creative collisions. It's so true. I think that you're right, as scientists, you often kind of just focus on your own work and you don't get the chance to look up and being in, in proximity with other groups. I think there's a holistic and natural way in which collaborations happen as opposed to, you know, through email, like actually physically being in space together and having those conversations by the, the water cooler to use that analogy is is really powerful. And I think that's an amazing, measurable and must be quite a gratifying way to see the impact of the work that you do. So we were digging around on the website and I was scrolling and scrolling and scrolling because there are just so many big, incredible projects that Canon Design has been a part of. And I got lost amongst the pages because there really is such a variety of different areas that you work, workspaces that you work within, schools, uh, universities, research labs, and so on. But I wanted to spotlight a couple of what seemed to me to be really amazing projects in terms of biotech. And one was with CJ Blossom Park, which aims to expand 
and only one culture of health and happiness for researchers. And the other was Millipore Sigma um, Life Sciences Centre in Burlington, which is a branded environment designed to spark creative advancements in life sciences. And I work in a lab and I was so inspired to see this and wish that you could come and work your magic (laughs) over at the Lundquist, to be honest. I was hoping you could talk us through the process of conception to creation of these projects and how they came to life. I'm really curious, actually, about the kind of scientists or people who work at these institutes that also appreciate that vision. Absolutely. I think the thing to say first is this sort of space happens where it starts at the top of the groups that we're working with. So CJ Blossom did have three disparate groups that they were trying to bring together in an idea to accelerate discovery. So they had food scientists and biotech scientists and other scientists that they wanted to bring together. And you mentioned they're having the only one. The idea is that they didn't want to have different buildings for everybody anymore, which is what they currently had before they called us. And they wanted everyone to sort of exist in this world that was unique and collaborative and special. And you did mention a lot of important things that happened with CJ Blossom, but I did want to mention, I talked about working with Agilent and shaping a building like DNA. This building is specifically shaped like the company's logo, which is three petals, which is the three parts of their company. So the idea was bringing together the three petals of their company into the only one building. And really the driving focus for this project coming from CJ and the scientists was how do we bring people together? And if you look at photos on the website, you'll see some very fantastic lab spaces that have collaborative spaces within the lab. So we talk about creative collisions outside the lab, but this created that space inside the lab as well. And also, and this might be some of what you were looking at, the biophilic design related to sustainability. Yeah. Literally bringing the outside in through planted media. But also there were things like wellness spaces, like nap pods and gyms and cafes. And the idea is really exemplifying that living center design that I mentioned before that is a driver for every Canon project that happens. And it makes sort of that discovery and happiness and wellness all happen at one time in a place that just really feeds the soul and feeds the mind. So I think that is what's really important about CJ Blossom is it did something unique, but it was really brought to us. That idea came to us from the company. And Millipore Sigma is a little different in that, as you mentioned, it's about finding creative ways to create products. Millipore Sigma makes a lot of products and processes that work for people in labs. So pure water systems and water polishers and chemical distribution that make the flourishing of labs possible. So I think when we think about what does Millipore Sigma do, they're literally trying to break the box on how they can help lab people function better. So in that space, there's a lot of open spaces and demonstration labs and open views, all trying to have people walk by a space and see something and it sparks something in their mind. And then they go and they keep pushing that idea forward. And you'll hear us talk about this at Canon a lot, open views, viewing into labs so that people can see what other people are doing all the time 
and again, sparking that creativity. And just going back to that conversation about science and art, CJ Blossom was named Lab of the Year a couple of years back, and both CJ and Millipore Sigma have been published in magazines about, you know, architect and interior design that really focus on beauty. So for us at Canon to have our technology projects seen as beautiful is something that we were been striving for the whole time. As we mentioned, places where people can find beauty within a space, as to your point, that may may not have been thought of that way before. So it's nice when the rest of the world realizes, hey, you can make these spaces exciting and dynamic and collaborative and beautiful and everybody will love it. The people that work there will love it. The people that come there to visit will love it. And I think that's an important part about really understanding that intersection of science and art. Elisa, I couldn't agree with you more. The picture that you're painting, it actually brings a smile to my face because you can really feel it, like being in that sort of environment. And I, I had had a look at the CJ Blossom Park project and I was just blown away by the, like you say, the emphasis on incorporating green spaces and the power of plants on our psychology and then also having places to rest and to rejuvenate like all of those small things are actually not small at all and they really make a difference and then with Millipore Sigma just that idea of having open space and being able to see what other people are doing it really is powerful and actually during last year when we were working from home a lot of labs were doing kind of both so for our lab for example we would go in when other people weren't there so we had a bit of a schedule and the impact on productivity was actually kind of incredible because you have a job you have work to do but now that we're all back I see how much impact that is to actually see other people working and it's it kind of inspires you and motivates you and those two projects I think are really good examples of how Canon Design is really achieving its mission. So another thing that we were sort of interested in is personalized medicine, talking about intersections and interdisciplinary approaches to things. Um, it's a pretty hot topic at the moment. And I know that you have been involved in some of that work with the projects that you're doing. Uh, how have you been able to utilize elements of laboratory design, do you think, to maximize advancements in this specific area and you can also expand a little bit about what's happening in personalized medicine at the moment okay i know actually that you are interested in personalized medicine as well as you are working (laughs) is an extremely important part of what personalized medicine is about but obviously it's about i call you know we hear it a lot of different ways but they say bench to bedside but i even take that further and i say bench to bedside back to bench because the idea is that in a laboratory we're looking at possible cures that are specific to a person we take that cure to a person and then we really see how that affected that person's system and whatever typologies we were trying to look at. So I think the thing about personalized medicine is that you have to recognize it's a real departure from something we've done before. So in personalized medicine, we have a manufacturing piece of that. And it's what I call lab scale manufacturing. It's not these giant vessels anymore that are filled with either chemicals or what we call active pharmaceutical ingredients, it's really creating a cure for your DNA or your specific condition based on a DNA profile. So thinking about that, when you go to a personalized medicine space, 
I like to think about focusing on transparency and the views in and out, like we've talked so much about. We have to put the science on display that is actually being done to help patients and make patients feel a part of the process, like they're literally watching someone work with their genetic material. And I have a couple of concrete examples. Again, in University of Chicago, I worked on a gene and cell therapy space where not only were there views into the clean rooms, so you could see all the way through all the current clean rooms that were lined up because each one had a glass window in it from the lab space, but you could also see in from the outside. And as you walked in, oftentimes they put up pictures of patients who had recently had work done there and the patient, new patients could come in and say, oh my gosh, that person got helped here. So not only is it somebody can be helped, but I can physically see what someone is doing. And another group we're working with is making personalized joint replacements. So instead of having the joint replacement that's sort of in a box that's typical, they're looking at your body, your body type, x-rays of your body, MRIs, and creating new joints specific to your body. And you actually visit the factory where it happens. And you can pick up your joint in a sterilized box and take it to your surgeon. And the idea is that you're reducing the time of both recovery and in surgery. So these ideas of really taking something that may have been assembly line done before and tailoring it to people, these people should feel part of the process. And I think I mentioned this to you before, Yuande, that I felt like sometimes we were doing a disservice by not explaining to people what's happening in science. And I feel like these transparent personalized medicine spaces allow us to get that information out so that cures aren't scary to people. It's something they can understand and see. That's so incredible. I really wanna uplift that point. Personally as well, I think I work on rare childhood diseases and we're far from it, you know, we're far from a cure with our work and it is something that's long term. And so I think that two-way transparency is really powerful and something quite unique that I don't think a lot of people, as, as far as I know, have really considered in terms of how you can actually achieve that through space. And so I really just want to uplift the importance of that because that really, I mean, it saves lives, it changes people's lives, and it's seemingly a small detail, again, like some of the other things that you've brought up in this conversation, but I think that is particularly powerful. And so, yeah, I really just wanted to, to uplift that point. And you know what, just speaking to personalized medicine in general, and you're working on rare childhood diseases I feel like a lot of personalized medicine is focused on that right now, specifically what we call historically intractable diseases in children, because to allow children to live full lives is a really meaningful thing to do. And to make that happen through science is amazing. And it's going to allow us to make changes in people's lives that they never thought were possible. Absolutely. And also your, to your point about, Alicia, about the science communication and how science hasn't historically done a very good job at sort of making it accessible for people to understand. And so, you know, cures 
or treatments become scary. And we've seen in the last year with the vaccine, even just being able to understand what exactly it is. I think doing that through space is also really powerful because it kind of the veil drops, you know. And so even if you're not actually hearing the science, you're seeing it. And I think that closes the gap a little bit. So, yeah, thank you for that work that you do just personally from the background that I come from. So uh, we're thinking a bit about last year. I brought it up a little bit already, but um, so many businesses were forced to reconsider what it means to work within a dedicated space last year. So this is all industries, even within science, you think about how can a scientist work from home? You're meant to be in a lab and even we had to work from home. I think for a lot of biotech, it's a bit different and some people are able to do that work um, from their, their actual home spaces. But it's been pretty challenging for some working remotely and for others, it worked pretty well. So I wondered how you think at Canon Design, this new room, sorry, this new norm that we have now has impacted the future of workspaces in biotech. Do you think there are any inspirations from the home or any sort of new revelations that last year has has given you? Well, I do think this is a really unique question because it kind of depends what you're doing in science as to whether you can work from home. So having doing a lot of work on the manufacturing side there isn't a lot of opportunity for people to work from home. And especially in QA, QC, quality assurance and quality control in gene and cell therapy and biomanufacturing, that literally has to be done in person. So a lot of the work that we have found recently is pivoting and understanding how to get people in buildings together as they need to be or to run assays that maybe aren't automated, that someone literally has to be there for. So in that sense, we're not seeing a huge amount of change on the tech side. The researcher side is a little different, but we're seeing companies, to your point, that are taking spaces that were typically dedicated to administrative staff or staff that actually doesn't need to be in person and creating better and larger lab spaces for those who do have to be in person. And for me, that's a good thing because we're looking at more sophisticated workplace strategies that make spaces better for discovery, collaboration, and breakthroughs while still understanding there's a global pandemic and we do need to take precautions. So we're finding that we're being charged with taking space that is now considered wasted space and making it usable and making it usable for everyday purpose. So I think too, we're sort of coming out of the pandemic in and out. You know, we have the Delta variant and unfortunately it's sort of raging all over again, but what it has created that maybe wasn't as clear before to people outside of the scientific realm is there's a real appreciation for science and research and what it can do to help us and what can we continue to do to fight future pandemics in the space we have or the space we're making and heal more people, make more changes. But what I think we're finding here at Canon is being tasked with that. How do we make space to continue discovery, continue helping people, continue to fight future pandemics and understanding that some people have to be in person and some people don't. And striking that balance in, like we said, the creative workplace side versus sort of the norm, 
the cubicle farm? How can we break away from that and use space in a more collaborative way? And maybe some of that is people who come in occasionally, they have a more collaborative space. They're not sitting in a cubicle because they're coming in specifically to talk to people about something happening. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you are having this forward-looking perspective because we are just, you know, still getting through the pandemic. And I love what you said about utilising and rethinking the space that you already have. I think that's really important. And with social distancing, you know, you can't really get enough space, I think. We'll be right back after this quick word from our sponsors. Hi, my name is Kathy, and I am the president at BCLA, and I'm here with some messages from our sponsors. Canon Design is a global living-centered design firm that has helped leading biotech and science companies create spaces around the world where people and science flourish. They are consistently recognized as one of the most innovative design firms on the planet. Axel Health is a life science consulting firm that was founded on the belief that small team cultures are fertile ground for ideas with large-scale impact. Combining deep industry expertise, scientific rigor, and actionable analysis, Axel Health partners with renowned life science companies to guide life-changing innovations through their critical stages, from early development through market maturity. Axel Health, where leading-edge inquiry drives real-world results. This interview has been so inspiring and I'm really excited to see what other projects come from Canon Design. But related to the previous question, we kind of just were thinking what you think the most common new spaces will be that you'll design. Well, I think it's really threefold. I think obviously it's going to be collaborative. I don't think that we're ever going to go backwards and we're going to go back to a time where we make sort of the space that's closed lab after closed lab after closed lab and closed office after closed office. I think we're going to see a lot more open lab spaces. Obviously, every lab space can't be open. We really do understand science and we understand the need for people not having contamination. But I think the more that we can work together, the better. And even using things like we've mentioned, like glazing to make labs feel open that can't be open because they need to be clean or isolated is a way to get there. The other thing that I want to mention is these CGMP clean rooms, these current good manufacturing practices clean rooms that are specific to immunotherapy and gene and cell therapy and are ironically a little more flexible than we've seen pharmaceutical manufacturing in the past, which brings me to the third idea, which really as you can kind of hear from what we've done, Canon Design weaves into everything, which is sustainability. Not only is the climate crisis not going away, it seems to be getting worse. And so we're looking to create more sustainable and carbon neutral spaces and also empower climate science and reusing space that you have to turn into lab space or taking manufacturing space. That's the way people used to manufacture and turning into more flexible manufacturing spaces where different products can be done in the space without having to revalidate a room every time is a very important step to getting us to a more sustainable future. And I mentioned that 
we're working with the National Renewable Energy Laboratory on, quite frankly, very different kinds of projects than we may have before. Things like turning biomass into biofuel. And as I mentioned, looking at PV and really NREL from the government, since we've changed government, has been tasked with creating a circular economy by 2050, which means no waste. And all NREL buildings must be carbon neutral by 2030, which is a daunting task when you're looking at the kind of work that we're doing for them that is more on the manufacturing side with hazards, but they are committed to doing it and to doing it right. But another thing that we're doing that's really exciting is working with university systems to do things to create places for sustainability research to happen. We're working on the California Institute of Technology Resnick Sustainability Resource Center, which is a lab building that is literally a hub for research into the most pressing climate and sustainability changes and issues that we have coming up. And it's designed by the Yazdani Studio of Canon Design. Everybody's working on it across Canon, whether it's physical science and life science and engineering disciplines, but also our workplace group looking at, again, those novel ways for people to work together. I'm actually working on it myself on a quality level. And really, we're looking at things like how can we bring heavy timber frame, which is composite timbers and are more sustainable into buildings we wouldn't normally do that in. So not only are we looking at how the spaces can be collaborative, but how the building can be a beacon for sustainable materials, which is very similar to what NREL does. So I think looking at these kind of spaces is something that is exciting and we hope to continue to do because we don't just want to make a change in science on the physical side and the laboratory side, but we want to be an example for other people as well as to how to make sustainable buildings and to make it possible to do that. So I think it's really those three main pieces that I see moving forward, but really all ironically tied into sustainability. I mean, it's incredible. I feel like Canon Design occupies this really beautiful intersection of, you know, create, I mean, the series is all about art and design and I think Canon Design and this conversation has really helped to illuminate just how powerful that that intersection can be, but then also weaving in so much sustainability in what you do. I think those three things are just so powerful and moving forward into the future, confronting climate change, we can't really hide from it anymore. I, I think especially also with research and there are certain things that you kind of have to prioritize. And I think finding these ways of being sustainable despite that is what we need to be seeing. I think that there are a lot of things you can justify the need for a sterile environment, the throwaway plastics, all these kinds of things you can justify for the work that is being done. But bringing in sustainability in this really real way, I think is just exactly the direction that we need to be going in. And we're just so inspired by the work that you do. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us um, on our podcast. We were really excited about kicking off this series with this episode, and we're excited to see what you guys do next. Thank you very much for inviting me. I, I am excited to be a part of this series and what you guys are doing for biotech in our region. Thank you.
We'll be back after a word from our sponsors. Siddhartha Mukherjee, the Pulitzer Prize winning author and cancer researcher, tells us, Science begins with counting. To understand a phenomenon, a scientist must first describe it. To describe it objectively, he must first measure it. As fellow scientists, we all agree that measurements are the foundation on which everything else is built. And yet, as we start to apply machine learning techniques to more areas of research, there is an appalling lack of measurements in the machine learning field. Brainome AI changes all of this with our data compiler, the first measurements-based tool for bioinformatics research. If you want to incorporate measurements into your computational work, be it biology, chemistry, genomics, or physics, then visit www.brainome.ai for a free demo version of the software. Zencore is an LA-area biotech committed to improving patient lives by engineering and developing better biologic medicines. Using their pioneering XMAB technologies, Zencore has created or contributed to over 20 therapeutic antibodies and cytokines in ongoing clinical trials. They are advancing these drug candidates for patients internally and with leading industry partners, and two XMAB antibodies are now FDA-approved. Zencore is always looking for scientific talent and has more than 10 research scientist positions available. They offer the opportunity to work on cutting-edge biology and an environment to grow and enhance your career. Learn more and apply at xencor.com slash careers. so much for tuning into the episode to learn more about canon design you can check out the show notes and if you like the show then please take a moment to subscribe and share it really helps our visibility and takes less than a minute next month we'll be continuing the series with dr rita blake phd at california nanosystems institute at ucla make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to hear it this podcast is a bcla production Thank you so much to our podcasting team, Kathy Gross and Ananta Wadwa, my co-producers, who are always working so hard behind the scenes. Damon Palermo for the sound design. Daniel Gray is for the fantastic theme music. And of course, the sponsors of this episode, Canon Design, Brainome, Zencore and Bioscience LA. See you next time.